Welcome to the Story Apothecary, a podcast filled with healing and medicinal stories. My name is Nana Tomova, and I'm a traditional storyteller and a pharmacist, and stories are medicines which I dispense. In this podcast, you'll find my prescriptions of stories for the body, mind, heart, soul, and for the earth. So I invite you to join me as we enter the healing world of stories together. Hello on this beautiful July summer's day from the northeast of Scotland. I hope that you're having a wonderful week or weekend, that the sun has been shining upon you, that the summer rains have quenched the thirst of your garden, your heart, and that the light breezes have whispered their secrets to you. And I hope that you come here restored, or if you're seeking restoration, I hope that you will find it by the end of this episode. I have another lovely story for you today, and um, while I was flicking through numerous books and Thinking about stories and what I can record, what I can tell, planning for future online courses, planning for telling for the first time to my village. And I came across this story and I thought, of course, of course, this is one to tell. And so I'll bring you Rumpelstiltskin. You probably have heard of this story, or if you haven't, you're in for a treat. Rumpelstiltskin is a German folktale. It was one collected by the Grimm's brothers. So we don't know, I don't know, who the original storytellers were. They're likely to have been women, maybe maids, nursemaids, wet nurses. And the stories from the Grimm's, as you probably know, were collected, changed somewhat, and written down. So, like many oral stories, they belonged to the community. But it's a wonderful story, and I hope that you enjoy it. Here it is, the story of Rumpelstiltskin.
a long, long time ago. Somewhere between yesterday and tomorrow, there was a miller. And this miller worked hard. He was honest. But he wasn't rich. Not of monetary value. He had a wife. He had a daughter. But not much money. And one day he felt himself desperate when he found himself at a crossroads. His mouth was full of big words as his pocket was full of little coin. And so he liked to brag. He liked to brag about how good his mill was. He liked to brag about how clever he was. He liked to brag about how beautiful his wife was. He had to brag about how clever his daughter was. So many things that, well, he polished them a little bit more than perhaps he should have. And so this one day where he found himself by the crossroads, he saw none other than the king. The king who was out hunting, the king dressed in all his rich attire, and the miller felt a little bit of jealousy in his heart. He felt a little bit of envy in his belly, a little bit of scheming in his mind, and he wanted to impress the king. And he began to speak about how great of a miller he was, how wonderful his wife was, how clever his daughter is. My daughter, he said, can perform the most incredible of feats, he said to the king. My daughter can spin simple straw into gold. You know, sooner than the lie had left his mouth. He regretted it. Something closed in his throat, but you cannot take words such as those back. The king thought, and a smile came across his face one-sided. His eyes went into the distance. That sort of skill, the king said, greatly intrigues me. Bring your daughter to the palace tomorrow. I'd like to see that for myself. Mother Miller had to go home and admit what he had done, what he had said, how he had lied. His wife was not impressed. His daughter, no more than 17 summers old, looked at him. You told the king what, she said, but I cannot do such a thing. What, 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 will, what will I do? How, we need to get out of this, but all night they stayed, scheming and thinking, but they could not think themselves out of this one. They hoped the king would forget, but of course... The king does not forget straw being spun into gold. He dreamt, he dreamt all night of money and riches and gold. And so the following day, 
he came on horseback to collect the daughter of the miller. He showed her to the palace. She walked humbly, trembling, smiling, face pale, hands unsteady. He smiled at her, but not a genuine smile. One that did not quite reach his eyes. When he looked at her, he did not look at her with respect, curiosity. He looked at her in this possessive way, the way that a rich person might buy a mule or a donkey or cattle and think about the money they might gain from such a purchase. He showed her to a little room. The room was filled of straw from bottom to top. A little space that was left for the two of them to, to get into. The doors closed. A creaky wooden stool, three-legged, stood in one corner. And a creaky wooden wheel stood in front of it. Get to work, he said. By the time sunrise comes tomorrow, I expect a room full of gold. If you disappoint me, your head will be taken. He then left the room, closed the door shut, locked it with a key from the outside. And his footsteps could be heard, bouncing, ricketing, echoing through the halls as he went to his throne made of gold. The miller's daughter had no idea what to do. What do you do in such a situation? What do you do when you find yourself with lies said about you? She could not run. She could not hide. She could not make her way out of this one. Straw was not gold. Desperate, she began to weep, to think, to punch, to be angry. There was no leeway at all. She could spin straw into gold as much as she could sprout wings and fly away. It was an impossible task. She didn't want to lose her head. She had so much life in front of her, she had dreamed of so much. Dying terrified her. What could she do? The dry straw became moistened with her salty tears. And suddenly she was startled as the locked door opened wide. And the little man, no more than coming to her hip with straw-like hair, and a beard the colour of gold, little sparkly eyes, came in. Good evening, Miss Miller, the little man said. Now why do I find you weeping? It's as if the world was coming to an end tomorrow. Oh, the girl said. I'm supposed to spin straw into gold, and I don't know how. I don't know what to do. 
So that I do the only thing I can. I weep. The little man asked, I can spin it for you. But if I do, what will he give me in return? The girl began to think, She and as she did, she put her hand upon her chest, upon her throat, and she felt, oh, my necklace, she said, my, my mother gave me this, but but my necklace, I'll give you my necklace, it's, it's made of gold and silver, I'll have my necklace with my blessing. The little man stretched out his little hand, his little eyes looked at the necklace, he nodded, and sat down to spin. He turned that quickie wheel three times. The spool was filled with shimmering gold, thin like gossamer. Again, he turned it three times. And again, another spool full of gold. All night he worked his magic. The girl looked. She stared. As much as she could, but her eyes became heavy. She fell into a deep sleep. And as she woke up in the morning by the birds, proclaiming that the sun had risen, she looked around and every single bit of straw was spun into rich and shining gold. The little man bowed down to her, with a mischievous look into his eyes. Thank you, she said, and he had gone, as quickly and as unexpectedly as he had arrived. She had not much time to to shake the, the surprise, the shock of this, to come to her senses, to centre herself, to balance herself. Before the creaky door opened in front of her stood the king. His mouth dropped. His eyes widened. So overjoyed was he to see gold from top to bottom, from floorboards to ceiling. But no, he was not satisfied with that. Some people never are. No matter how much they get, the more they want. Like a hunger that cannot be satiated at the bottom of his belly, his heart beating, he wanted more. He was hungry, he was thirsty for greed. He took the miller's daughter by her hand and pulled her into a room twice the size. He asked his servants to go into the stables and bring all the straw they can and the room was filled again from top to bottom. He gave her some food, he gave her some water but not as good as a meal as she deserved. She became so pale, as pale as the snow on a winter's day when she looked at the task that stood in front of her. She found herself again locked into this room, facing an impossible task, overcome with tiredness, with fatigue again, her tears rolled down her cheek. What would she do? She, she cannot lie. He saw what she was capable of, apparently, and how did she get herself out of this one? Bitter tears she wept. She reproached herself and her father for getting her in this mess and for 
the king for his greed, but that would do no good. Again, the door. And the little man popped in as before. Ah, Miss Miller. If I spin the straw into gold, what will you give me this time? She thought. She looked at her hand and saw the ring. Ah, take my ring, she said. This used to be my grandmother's. But no matter. Take it, it's an old family heirloom, but... I'll be so grateful for your help. He took the heavy ring, his hand inspected it greedily and sat down to spin. All night he worked. As a silver moon, round and pregnant, went up into the sky and lit up the little room all night. And at the sunrise, that room was full of shimmering gold and as the sun came from the eastern horizons it bounced off into the riches and such a light emanated from within. The little man was gone. The blink of an eye, the king came when he heard the gasps from the palace. He was delighted, as you might imagine, greedier than ever. You think that will be enough, but no. He took the miller's daughter into a room ten times as large. He got straw not only from the royal stables, which were now low, but he got straw from the local farmers and the local houses. He took a day and a night. For it to be gathered, but gathered it was, and the whole room was filled from floor to ceiling with straw. If you manage to spin this into gold, the king proclaimed, you shall live, and I shall make you my bride. Such a smile, such a favour. She, a poor miller's daughter, to be queen, what else could you hope for? What a wonderful gift. It's not like she had dreams, or hopes, or desires. Choices she certainly did not have. It's not like she had opinions, or a voice. Better than death. Perhaps. It was better than death. It was, she thought. He looked at her up and down, up and down. She wasn't that bad looking after all, so he was pleased, even though her origins were modest and she came from riffraff, but surely there was no woman in the world who could fill his coffers so swiftly, so he was sure in his choice, in his decision, in his proclamation. The door was locked 
close tightly, the steps of the king felt and heard. She found herself alone once again, when the little man came after she started weeping for the third time. And again the question was asked, If I spin this gold for you, what will you give me in return? What is this whole bringing of the miller's daughter into the palace had happened so quickly that she didn't have many things. She took only the clothes in her back, not expecting to be there more than a few hours, so she had nothing. Nothing to bargain for. Nothing to offer. And if you have nothing to bargain with, nothing to offer, nothing to gift, what do you do? She found herself in a little predicament once again. I, I don't know, she said. I, I, I have nothing worth of value that I can give you. Well then, said the little man, promise me this. If you become queen, you will give me your first-born child. What an ask. It took her by surprise. She had not expected this. What a bargain was this? It didn't seem fair, but she was only young. She didn't know what fate would bring her. She didn't know what life could be like. And if she didn't make, if she didn't offer the request, then there would be no life at all. So hesitantly, well, she nodded. Agreed. Very well, she said. Very well. Her throat clenched up a bit. Her heart beating quick. Ah, the little man was pleased. He was happy. He sat down on a stool and he began to work that spinning wheel. <sighs> no sooner than a few hours had passed, he was working so quickly now. And by morning, before sunrise and those darkest parts of the morning, as, as the grey light begins to creep in and there is a promise of a dawn, the room, even though it was ten times as big as the first one, was filled with shining, splendid gold. Little man left. I'll be back, he said, and skipped. And the girl's heart skipped a beat. Another day that she made it. Another day that she won't die. Another day that she lived. There was a wedding, as was promised, or threatened, by the king, and she was queen. There was such a celebration, her father, her mother, came to the feast. They drank deep, they ate so well. There was a wedding night. The king was as kind as he had been to her. All along, a door opened, a door shut, her mind went somewhere else.
she thought of meadows in the wind and the whisper of a brook in the mill. A year and a day went by. She gave birth to a beautiful child, a beautiful baby girl. She was so besotted, so content, so in love with the events of the birth. She was so tired and almost in another world, holding this infant to her breast. That night, as she fell asleep, she had a dream. She had a dream and she woke up with beads of sweat upon her head, forehead. She had a dream that a child was going to be taken. She had a dream that she had made a promise. But alas, it was not a dream. She had forgotten those words and maybe she had blanked them out. She was not sure. Maybe she hoped that he'd forget. Or maybe she'd hoped that it would never come true. But sure enough, little man had not forgotten. I've come for the child, he said. Now oh, the queen begged him to take jewels. She had so much to offer now. She she tried to barter, she, tr she tried to negotiate. Please take silver, take gold, take riches of... Anything, please take anything. Don't take my child. Don't take what I have brought into this world. Don't take my baby. Don't take my daughter. Don't take my child. Ah. A promise is a promise, Miss Miller. A promise must be kept. And I do not need silver or gold. I prefer a living thing. So I will take your daughter. I will not leave without her. We made a pact. I met my end of a bargain. Now you will meet yours. Oh, the queen wept. She was angry. She protested. She shouted. She, she held her daughter. She refused to give her. But what choice did he have? Did she have? She would be taken against her will. She could not tell her husband. How could she tell him what deal she had made with the future child of the kingdom? How could she tell him she had lied to him? All these times. She was in a bind, but still she wept and she bargained and she used every trick that she had learned along her, her young life of 18 summers by this time. Little man felt sorry for her. I propose, he said. You will have three days to guess my name. If you guess my name, that is true. By the end of the third day, you can keep your child. But if not, 
Mm-hmm. The bargain will stand. The young queen thanked him. She stayed up all night, frantically trying to think what could his name be. She, she thought of all the names she had heard in the kingdom, but around her father's house. Of all of the, the times that her father had done business, all the names she had heard. The next day, she, she sent a message to inquire throughout the countryside about the names she had might have missed. She, she made up a lie of why this was required and the servants, quietly, they liked her, they trusted her, she was kind to them. They went and they tried to get names that she might have missed and whispers and were, were brought forward and quietly given to her. The next day, when the little man came, she she rattled off a whole list. Um, is your name Algatron? Baltazar? Wagner? Zachary? Oh, that's not my name, he said. No, no. She tried to open her mouth to guess, but he put up his hand. That's enough for today. Tomorrow. I'll be back. I'm going to have some more guesses then. And he chuckled as he turned around and left the room. The next day, she sent her servants to remote regions, everywhere she could think of, to, to, to look, to bring back names that she might have missed. All manner of names. Is it ribcage? Ribs of beef? Uh, mutton chops? Short ribs? Laced leg? She tried all kind of names, but again she shook his head and cackled and laughed. That's not my name. You know that's not my name. You have one more day. I'll be back tomorrow. She hardly slept that night. She caressed the soft face of her daughter, the hair on her head. He squeezed her little hands, her little feet. I'll do my best to guess, she said. I will get this name, I will do it right. I won't let him take you. I won't let you go. She was desperate. It's not something you can do alone. How could she guess names of someone that she didn't know? How could you name what you fear the most alone? And then the room opened widely and quickly and one of her servants said, Madam, he said, my queen, I have some news. And he began to speak so quickly and she had to say, please slow down, slow down. At the end of the day, he continued, I walked along the forest's edge and a, a sort of rounding bend, I, fo- I found myself at the foot of a hill. It was just the sort of spot where a fox and a hare might bid each other a good evening. He was quite a poet, and he carried on, and then there was a rustic hut, and the fire was burning outside, and there was a silly little man dancing around the fire. I, I, I couldn't quite believe my eyes. And guess what he sang, he said to the queen. Today I brew, tomorrow I bake. The next day the queen's child I'll take. And he sang this over and over again. Today I brew, tomorrow I bake. The next day the queen's child I'll take. Tomorrow I'll brew, 
Today I'll bake. Next day the queen's child I'll take. My name, my name, my name is Rumpelstiltskin, but guess it no one can. And the messenger. The messenger, he walked as briskly as he could. Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin, all night, all day. Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin, he repeated to himself until that name was lodged deep inside his brain. Deep inside his ears, deep inside his belly, Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, the news thrilled the queen, she was so happy. Oh, thank you, thank you, she said. I, this is such good luck, such good fortune. Well, a few hours passed. The queen had steadied herself. Poised and quiet and elegant. Not too confident. She welcomed and greeted the little man. Well, he said, today is day three. Can you guess my name? Oh, um, oh, let's see, she said. Perhaps your name is Hans. No. Perhaps it is Thomas. No. Perhaps it is Kunz. No. Perhaps it is Harry. No, he said with greed upon his eyes. No, your majesty. He began sitting, standing a little bit taller, a little bit cockier, a little bit more steady on his two feet. Hmm, the queen said. Perhaps I'll have one last go. Maybe your name is, she said. Maybe you'll go by the name of Rumpelstiltskin. Little man's face, drained of all colour. What? What? Who told you this? How did you know who told you? And he became as, as angry as a toddler having a fit. Or he went on the ground, on the floor, and began to roll and writhe around. Who told you? Who told you? He stamped his right foot. He stamped his left foot. Such a fury. A deal is a deal. He knew this. And he knew that she knew this. He raged so much. He stamped his feet so much. That he drove the right foot right through the floorboards of the room. All the way into the ground. Right up to his thigh. So he wriggled and writhed so much. He yanked so hard on his left foot. That he split himself in two. She called her servants and quietly they brought him into the woods back to his little cottage where the hare and the fox might meet and, well, from that day on, nothing could come between the queen and her child. She lived happily. She stopped looking over her shoulder. She was a help of those that she trusted. She had named that which she feared the most. When you name that which you fear the most, then it has no more power over you, and it cannot take that which you treasure the most.
And so the queen went to live a long and prosperous life with her daughter. I hope you enjoyed this story. It has such a good and important message. It is quite intriguing, the bargains that we make with ourselves, with others, the promises that we give, the words that fall from our mouths. Of course, we cannot know a future. And the child of the story could be perceived as a child, of course, but also it's, it's a treasure, it's her life force, it's, it's her gift to the world, her creativity, her inspiration, the river of life that runs through her bloodstream. All of that and more, that is the bargain she made. A year and a day before she knew exactly what she had given away. I'm sure we've made similar pacts in our lives. And so it keeps knocking to claim that which it thinks is what belongs to him, to it, to whatever the creature might be. And there bargain begins and howling and threatening and fighting nails and in teeth and then she needs advisors friends servants those that she trusts if she keeps it to herself there is very little that one can do in their mind alone but you get a team Community, kingdom, that is a different matter. And she doesn't go to the king, he has no role in this. She goes underneath, under the head of the kingdom, those that she knows that can help. And she speaks, she names it. And in return, she gets the name which she needs the most. And once she has that, her fear is gone. And in speaking it, in naming it, her power dissipates 
and dissolves and she keeps that. She treasures a gift, a creativity, that which she has birthed, a life, a future. And I really encourage you to think about what comes up for you when you listen to the story. What images or memories? How can this story be in service to you at this point in your life? What does it have that it can gift you? What's the medicine that it can offer you? And is there anyone else that you think that would benefit? And whenever I discuss stories with people, well, this is of course what stories are meant to be for, and this is the work to talk about them. And we can do that if I'm there in person with you, but if I'm not, then talk amongst your people. Talk about this story, have debates, have agreements, have disagreements. Such rich discussions. And whenever I hold such discussions with people, there is only one rule. And that is, yes, and. Where disagreements happen, there is so much to learn. And all opinions are welcome. But there's rarely ever one right thing. So however you work with a story, I hope it's useful. And if you have something you want to share with me, please tag me. I'm on Instagram. Put hashtag story apothecary. Or you can join the Story Apothecary Facebook group. I love to hear your opinions and discussions and insights and ways of the stories have been in service to you. I hope you've loved this podcast episode as much as I have and I wish you a warm, happy and brave month where you can name everything that needs to be named. If you enjoy this podcast, then consider supporting me on Patreon. Patreon is a member-only site where you can contribute monthly. Otherwise, feel free to buy me a coffee at Kofi. You can also share this podcast on social media and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify if it brings you joy or healing.
feathers, the beautiful music as always. See you next time. Thank you for joining me in the story of Apothecary.